around five or six years old, I, uh, as some of you know, went down into the basement of our home in Whitewater, went to my dad's workshop, which I knew was off limits, but I decided to go past the limits anyway. As I ventured into the workshop, I began to pull out some tools. I found a piece of string that, for whatever reason, I wanted to cut, and I looked for an instrument to cut the string with. I found it in a utility knife laying in my father's toolbox. And at five or six years old, I took the utility knife, extended the razor blade, and began to cut, except instead of cutting in the way away from me, I began to cut toward me. And I cut through the string, and in that moment, I changed my life forever as the blade of that knife went into my right eye. That action led to a couple of surgeries, a, a cornea replacement, a lens replacement, uh, and, and forever changed my sight and my vision. This morning, we are in a series called Faithfully, and we're talking about faith fully, not just faithfully, but faith fully, what that means. And as we, we think about the scripture that was just read for us, we understand that there is an, a, an important part about faith. It's not just this optional thing. It's not just this, this moment where we, where we uh, believe and then forever it's just, you know, everything's the same. In that moment, at age five or six, my sight changed forever. And, and uh, I've been going to the same optometrist since that time. A few years ago, my children and I were going to the city pool, and as we were there, there were some teenagers playing uh, wall ball, and one of the teenage boys uh, launched a tennis ball with everything that he had, but instead of hitting the wall, uh, that ball went squarely into the same eye. Uh, I went immediately, I was going to go to the ER, uh, called my eye doctor, he said, they won't take you there, they'll just send you to me, come on in. And... Um, as I went to his office and he began to see me and assess the damage, he, he made the comment, we've got to stop seeing each other like this. <laughs> Dr. McCarthy is a, is a great optometrist. What he, was, what, what he and I's relationship has been focused on has been my sight in this eye. Uh, there is no other part of my body that is more looking forward to Resurrection Day than my right eye, okay? It's been through a lot in this old world. But there is a manner of seeing that goes deeper than your vision. And it's important, and what's the Bible, it's what the Bible calls faith. And that scripture that was read reminds us that without faith, it's just not possible to please God. It's the first thing that we must understand when we talk about faith is that it is not optional. Some people use the words faith and belief interchangeably. Faith and belief in the Bible, there's a great distinction made between the two. If, if you're following along in your Bible, James chapter 2 would be where you'd want to go. If you're, if you're in the Pew Bible and you're not familiar with where the scriptures are, James chapter 2 would be page 1292. Page 1292, or James chapter 2. Verses 18 and 19 of James 2, the scripture reads as follows. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is, that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James is making the point that faith is greater than belief. That faith, that there's more to faith than simply believing. Satan believes in God. The demons believe in God. Many of them that Jesus cast out knew immediately when they saw or heard Jesus who he was. But they didn't have faith. They merely knew who Jesus was. They believed. And, and for us, we have to understand that faith is more than belief. That with, in fact, without faith, it's impossible to, ple- to please God. In other words, you can believe in God, but that's not, that's not the whole step. You've got to trust him. There's not a single person, there's not a single example in Hebrews chapter 11 of, of the great heroes of faith. There's not a single one of them that, that, did, that had a relationship with God that did not have a step that they had to take, an action that they had to proceed with, a, a, a calling that God put to them, a, a moment of obedience. We have to trust him enough to do what he says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't be good enough. You, you can read your Bible all you want. You can come to church 52 weeks a year. You can come both services. You can come Wednesday night. You can, you can be good. You can be kind. You can be uh, uh, nice to your neighbors and friendly to your coworkers. You can be friendly to your dog. You can, you can uh, do all of the good things that you can imagine trying to do. And all of those good things will not please God, as we've talked about in previous lessons. In God's eyes, your, your goodness, my goodness, as the prophet Isaiah said, is like filthy rags. So you can't, you can't be good enough. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do good, but, but that's not what pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 says it's faith that pleases God. It's that moment where we have to make a choice. Uh, we, we read through the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11, page 1287. By faith, Noah. You know, Noah had to, had to come to a point where God told him to build an ark, and as far as we can tell scripturally, not a single drop of rain. And yet, Noah began to prepare the wood. Noah began to construct. Noah began to seal up this giant boat for this world that they couldn't even see yet. God called him to build and he built. God called Abraham, uh, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And Abraham had no idea where he was going, where God was calling him to. God was calling him out of his home and familiar, familiarity. And, and all down through the rest of this chapter, are people again and again and again uh, who had to have this moment where they had faith in God. And that was more than just believing in God. It was actually trusting him to do what he said. That's our second idea is that faith requires bigger optics. We have to be able to see bigger than we see. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, go back with me back to my optometrist's office. Uh, In fact, I'm going there at the end of this week. When I go for that appointment, they uh, put me down in front of this. First of all, they put these drops in my eyes. I sit back my head and they open up my pupils really big. And then they do something I think was uh, come up with in the mid- medieval ages, uh, kind of a torturous device. Uh, they decide to take a picture of your eyes at that moment when they're, when they're all the way dilated. And so all you see are these two bright white circles in your vision. The reason that they do that is because they need to see inside, toward the back of the eye. And it's very small, it's very hard to see. As my optometrist looks in my eye, he can't do that with his own eyes. He requires magnification to do that. He will have to see bigger than he can see. Now, I want you to think about this in your walk with God. Turn to John chapter 4, verse 24. In the scripture, Jesus is having a conversation. He is having a conversation with a woman by the side of a well. And they're having this discussion about worship, and and it's it's a bigger sermon that I'm going to preach this morning. But in the middle of explaining God, Jesus says to her, John chapter 4, page 1141, and we're in verse 24 of John 4. Here's what Jesus says about God. Catch this. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I think about that sometimes. I was thinking about that this morning. Everything we did, if we truly worshiped, was by faith. You were called to pray to a God that you can't see that you haven't ever seen with these eyes. You were led in worship by Charles to sing praises. And he called you out. He, he told you I, want you, I want you to really get into it. I want you to really sing with everything you've got. To whom? One you cannot see. You, you met at a table to remember an act that you were not there for. You, you gave by faith, as Rob called you to do, to give, to pour back blessings to a God who you have never seen, but that you trust imminently. We study wor- words written and inspired by God, inspired by His Spirit, and by men who wrote them down that we have never met. Every part of what we do must be by faith. And if it wasn't by faith, then all you did was come and sit and do something you've done a thousand times before that had no meaning. Do you understand? That it's possible to go through the acts of worship and worship not be in you? Jesus said God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. That means that we need to to worship God acceptably. That's true. But it also means we have to worship by faith. We have to direct not our eyes, but our hearts toward a God that we cannot see as we worship him. Faith requires bigger vision. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, 
the writer of Hebrews says, faith, we've talked about this in a prior lesson, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is, this is the amazing part about it, is with all of them, they didn't see it until they believed it. Some people say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. No, people of faith are, are the exact opposite. <laughs> we are called to believe it before we see it. When, no, when Noah was called, he was called to build before he saw. When Abraham was called, he was called to go before he arrived, to trust that it was there before he left. And you and I are called to believe before we see. If you say, well, what is the purpose of a Christian? What is our ultimate goal? Most Christians will say, well, to get to heaven. Well, why on earth do you want to go to heaven? Unless you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, heaven won't have any meaning for you. God must be pursued by faith, and it requires us to believe without seeing. The, the best example I can think of in Scripture of one who had to believe and who wanted to believe and maybe who even struggled with belief is a man by the tam- name of Thomas. Now, we don't often call him Thomas. His story is in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Turn, turn to 1164 in the Pew Bible if you don't know where John 20 is. John 20 describes the disciple named Thomas. And unfortunately, Thomas has been nicknamed with this adjective. We don't call him Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. And, and that comes from John chapter 20. I want you to read along with me as I read from John chapter 20, verse 24 and following. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas was saying, I'm not believing it until I see it for myself. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and put it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, I just want to pause for just a moment and tell you that I think this is a tremendous act of grace by Jesus. We pick on Thomas a lot, but you and I, we're much like Thomas. We don't want to do until we see. We want to to see the proof before we act in faith. Thomas was much like us. And Jesus, instead of chastising Thomas, he said, Thomas, come here. Look at my hand. Look at my side. Isn't that beautiful? If you've struggled with faith, you need to know that Jesus, I believe, is patient with you. And yes, faith is still necessary, but you need to know if you've struggled with your faith recently or in maybe you 
never had faith. Jesus wants you to come to faith. And, and we know this because of what he continued to say. Look at verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We don't even have the advantage that Thomas did. We can't even place our finger into his hands or see his side. As much as we would like to, Jesus said, more blessed are we who do not see, who cannot see, and yet choose to believe. We are called by Jesus to believe without seeing. And more blessed are we when we come to those moments. And I'm convinced that every person in their life, in their journey of faith, must come to a moment, a seeing moment. And and I'll use air quotes here, um, which will not be helpful for people listening on the podcast, but just imagine air quotes. We come to a see moment, a moment where we have to see without our eyes. You remember the moment when you came to see God? Now, I don't mean you saw him with the visual, but saw him in your heart. We all come to a moment. I think God leads us to those moments again and again throughout our lives. It could be in losing a job. You know, 2,800 people in Wichita got notices this week. That things are going to change. And for people of faith, they're going to be, you know, it's not the greatest news in the world. But they know things are going to be okay because their faith's not in spirit. Well, their faith's in spirit, but not that spirit. Their faith is in a greater spirit. And they know things are going to be okay. All, every moment of our lives... I believe if, if we'll let him, God will bring us to a moment where we f- are forced to see. If you will, turn to Exodus chapter 14. Let's go to the sea. It's the story that we know, if you've ever been through VBS, or if you've ever been part of a safari to the sun, this is a story that you know well. It is a moment at the edge of the sea. And I'm going to start reading in chapter 14 of Exodus, verse 10. This is page 71, Pew Bible. Exodus 14, verse 10. Now, the, the, the scene is set. Israel has left Egypt. But it's going to be a, a lo- much longer, harder process to get Egypt out of Israel. And so God brings them out of Egypt and brings them outside of security, comfort, familiarity, everything that they had ever known but he brought them out of slavery, you see? And then he brings them to this point, the edge of the sea, as they realize, and Pharaoh realizes what he's done, and he's not going to let them go without a fight. And so he bears down on them with Egypt's mighty army, with the chariots and the horses all bearing down on them. And the Israelites are not ready for the fight, but God sure is. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out uh, defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped at the sea 
by Piharioth in front of Baal-Saphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel, catch this, lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the Lord of Israel cried out, uh, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us in out of Egypt? It is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. There's this moment, and this is why I put this picture on the slide. Because there's this moment, and and we look at a picture from Google Images of the Red Sea. And we look at, oh... It's just a place of water. This was literally, they felt like that water represented their death. I mean, behind them was Pharaoh and his armies. In front of them was the Red Sea. What are they going to do? The gap is closing. Pharaoh's getting closer and closer and closer. They cry out to Moses. Was it because there aren't enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here? What in the, I mean, we are going to die here, Moses. And Moses says, Stand firm. Be still. Be still. Now, now that story may not resonate. You may not have been between an Egyptian army and a, and a, and a sea and that you had to cross, but, but maybe you've been in a moment in your life when, when you were frustrated, when you were between a, a rock and a hard place, when, when God puts you in a place with your health, with your job, with your family, in a moment, in relationship, Uh, You know, name the situation where the gap's getting closer and closer and closer. And God's got you right where he wants you. He had Pharaoh right where he wanted him. But he needed Israel to trust him. To be silent. We sing that song. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. That I am God, be still and know that I am God. Now, sometimes you've known churches that would sing that, and the cue in that song was, everybody quiet, everybody sit still, everybody everybody quiet, and children be still, and get all the noise down to nothing. And, And I don't mind that. That's not what the song is about. Because you can be absolutely still, hands folded, paying attention, seated forward, eyes forward, and be worlds away up here. Be still had nothing to do with their physical posture or presence. It had everything to do with the condition of their hearts. You don't think that's true? Look, look at what the scripture says. Be still. And he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Look at verse 15 now. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel 
to go forward. God was saying, listen, be still. He's saying, calm down. Fear not. Worry not. You're going to see my hand, and you're going to see it in ways you'll never forget. And then he says, now move forward. Can you imagine? Step by step, walking, walking towards the water. I mean, they got to be thinking, well, how far can we keep walking? Is the water going to get to here? Yeah, here. I mean, we can only walk so far. They didn't know God was going to move the water. We know that. They didn't. God was going to fight for them. They needed to be still. You see, faith comes to a moment, and we all get there when we have to trust God. It's the only way is to trust God and to walk. Have you had a moment by the Red Sea? You had a moment where you had to trust God? Where you didn't know how it was going to work out, but you had to just trust Him and do what He said? I'm convinced that we all do. We all have to decide in a moment that we're going to see, not with our eyes, but with our heart, that we're going to trust Because God says there's no other way than to trust me. And faith is more than just believing. It's more than just intellectual acknowledgement. It's taking that step forward. When you say, God, why on earth would you bring me here? God says, because I need you here so that you can get to here. You'll never get here unless you first come here. But in order to get to here, you have to trust me. And you have to take a step forward. This morning, I want to call you. I want to ask you whether or not you're ready to take a step forward. To simply trust and obey. To simply do what he said. And see, that, that, that's, not a, that's an uncomfortable thing. I mean... Uh, this in this moment, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to stand and sing a song, and then if I'm, if I'm going to trust and obey, I need to take a literal step down front and meet one of the shepherds and say, you know, I'd like to put on Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of my sins, or I'd like to, to turn my life over to Christ. And that's uncomfortable. Listen, faith has nothing to do with your comfort zone. I know, I know. See, there's a big gap right here because there's a bus full of teens that are at Winterfest today, and most of them are coming back. And you thought, well, today, since most of them are gone, certainly he's not going to use us today in the sermon. He wouldn't do that. I mean, no, no way. No, sorry, that's not exactly how it's going to work today. Uh, would, you, would you guys stand up for just a minute? See, this is interesting to me. We got the front row, but we got the dedicated back row crew, right? They are, doesn't matter. They are going to be on the back row. Okay, so what I want you guys to do is get uncomfortable. So, you guys, the six of you, I want you to move back two rows from where you are. Guys on the back row, are you getting comfortable back there? <laughs> A little bit, sure. Come on forward. Let's, we're doing manual invitations now. Come on up. First one or two rows. No, bring it on to the front row. I mean, just come on. Sure. 
No, don't sit on that. Yeah, yeah, let's, I just got a whole slew of elders meetings in front of me now. Okay. And see what you did right there? Did I, did I tell you to sit down? Stand. By picking on the teens, what I'm showing you here is our default mode is comfort. Our default mode is comfort. You see, they sit on the back row because that's normally where they sit. And I'm not picking on them. But you and I get in the same place. How many of you are sitting mostly in the same area of the church that you always sit in? Okay, not to pick on teenagers, but you and I are creatures of comfort. When I told them to move, the first thing they did instinctively, even after moving, was to sit down and get comfortable. Faith means getting uncomfortable. You see, at the moment, the preacher said, well, now it's time for the invitation. And we start putting the songbooks away, knowing, oh, all right, we're going to finish a little early. All right, all right. I need you to hear me on this. Faith, trusting God, never happens inside our comfort zone. Never. Read for me one time. One time. Find me one. One, and I'll give you a $100 bill. Find one person that God called and that he kept right where they were, that he allowed them to remain right where they are, never. May we remember that God calls us not to sit and to be comfortable, but to move and to get uncomfortable. And may we only be comfortable getting uncomfortable. Now, enough about me picking on you. You move one pew back, and Pierce, you can, do a, you can come on forward to repent for sitting on the... The table there. Uh, you'll have, and you guys can all be seated now. Thank you. In just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing, and that's in your comfort zone. But may you not be comfortable right there. May you, this week, move forward and get out of your comfort zone. Trusting God is all about getting out of the comfort zone and into comfort with being uncomfortable. So if God calls you to leave a relationship, thy will be done. If God calls you to leave a job, thy will be done. If God calls you to put on Christ, thy will be done. If God calls you to go serve as a missionary to a foreign land, thy will be done. But it's up to us. It's within our hands whether or not we're going to leave the security and the safety of the comfort zone or whether we're going to choose to walk by faith. This morning, if you need to begin your journey of faith, then I will ask you as we stand and sing to come forward, talk to our shepherds, and they will help you to take the next step. But maybe you need to repent of nothing more than having been way too comfortable in your faith. And you're ready to get up and get moving. And we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to plug you in. This morning, if you are ready to be uncomfortable, if you're ready to take the first step, then may you do that now as together we stand and sing.